Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Not So Grateful Dad podcast. It is your host, Grayson Decker, and I am back, back again after my week break. It is Wednesday. It is October. Happy October. Happy best year of the month. So excited. So, so excited. I am finally going to announce to you what I have been keeping from you in these last episodes and what I've been telling you to follow me on social media for, because if you follow me on social media, you already know this by the time this episode is out, but if you're not, let me just tell you. So, because October is my favorite month, favorite month, I decided I would do something very special. So, in the month of October, I have decided that the week right before Halloween from Sunday to Sunday. So it is, I believe, the 23rd through the 30th. And it is going to be eight episodes back to back to back to back to back to back. It's going to be great. They are going to be spooky and not necessarily true crime. There's going to be some more out there topics, interesting things. Super excited to talk about them because, I mean, I'll never get to talk about stuff like that. So I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be really fun. And also on my post, I mentioned a giveaway because once again, love October, want to make the most out of it. So I decided I also wanted to do a spooky basket giveaway for one of you guys. So to enter this drawing, so to speak, I guess, just go and make sure you're following my Instagram page or my Facebook page, you like the post that has the announcement about the Not So Grateful 8 episodes that I will be covering, and on that post, leave a comment with your favorite spooky movie to watch around Halloween, and you are automatically entered into a drawing to win a spooky basket. After I draw on Halloween, I'm going to draw actually on October 31st, so keep that in mind. You have a while, but I'm going to do that and I will probably reach out to you via Facebook or Instagram, whichever one you're on, and ask for your address and I'll send you a cool spooky basket with lots of fun things. So yeah, I think maybe that's about it. I have a few trigger warnings for this case specifically. Trigger warning, sorry, there is mention of like sexual assault and rape. So just keep that in mind. If it's too heavy, it is a very graphic case, by the way. If it's too heavy, just I'll see you in the next one. But if it's not, let's get into it. Seattle, Washington is a beautiful, artistic, rainy, and quaint city. It is a seaport city that is located on the west coast of the United States. There is amazing coffee, and it is actually where the first Starbucks is located. It opened in 1971. I actually got the opportunity to travel to Seattle the summer before my 8th grade year, and it was the most fun I have ever had on vacation. Little Moody Grayson also just was super obsessed with the vibe. Not really sunny, cool, and just so beautiful. Also, Forks, Washington being so close, I got to see where some of Twilight was filmed. Are you kidding me? So cool. I was determined that I would live there someday, and Loki, that would still be pretty cool. Sadly, though, Seattle is not always just a beautiful and safe place to live. Terrible, 
heinous, and meaningless things still happen. Teresa Butes was born on October 19, 1969 in Missouri to Dolly and Norbert Butes. Teresa was the ninth child to be born out of 11 that Dolly and Norbert had. Teresa was known to be a very lovely person. She was loud and outgoing and truly just was the light of the room. Teresa loved to play soccer and she was really good at it too, beating all of the boys that she played with. Teresa attended and graduated from Bishop Duborg High School. After there, she attended the University of Missouri-St. Louis. After graduating from the University of Missouri-St. Louis, Teresa began working on a cruise ship, which super fun. I feel like that would be really cool, but also I don't know. I have never been on a cruise. I worried that I would get like seasick. I, I don't know. Motion sickness? I have no idea. Eventually, she stopped working here and moved to Seattle, Washington in the late 90s. Here, Teresa began a property management job. This is the job where she met Jennifer Hopper. Teresa Buttes oversaw a floor that Jennifer Hopper was working on. Initially, Teresa ignored Jennifer's phone calls, but eventually the two of them began dating. Jennifer Hopper is a very talented singer and has a wonderful outgoing personality. Jennifer states that she kind of had a fire and spunk to her that I was really drawn to when speaking about Teresa. The two of them eventually moved into a three-bedroom home in South Park in the South Park neighborhood of Seattle. They were excited for the upcoming future and the two of them were actually planning to have a wedding and spoke of having children of their own and building a family together. So now we're going to jump to July 18th, 2009. This day started and ended just as any other would with Teresa and Jennifer. It was a fun day packed full of fun activities and the two of them started the day with a weight loss class and then they went to go on a tour of the South Seattle, South Seattle, South Seattle microbreweries. After this, they went to Teresa's wedding dress fitting and ended the night with grilling some steaks at their house. Because they had such a jam-packed day full of activities, the two of them actually backed out of their original plans to go to a birthday party of a friend that was in the suburb of Marysville. And after this party, they had plans to just like spend the night at that friend's house and head home the following day. But like I stated previously, they declined these plans and stayed at their own home that evening because they were just too tired to go. Teresa and Jennifer head to bed around midnight that evening. Because Teresa was from Missouri, she was not going to waste air conditioning in Seattle because it really doesn't get that hot. So what is the point of having an AC, honestly? Like we can just open a window. But I guess it was a little bit warmer that evening, so Teresa left a window open before they went to bed. On July 19th, 2009, a little after midnight in the early morning hours, a man breaks in and sneaks into the home of Teresa and Jennifer. They are both awoken by him standing over their bed with a knife in hand, and he also is not fully dressed. After Jennifer wakes up, she is met with this unknown man putting a knife to her throat and he tells her that he is only there for sex and he told her that she needed to be quiet. After this, the man then, trigger warning, raped the women repeatedly, all while holding a butcher type knife. Eventually, the woman began resisting this man's actions and fighting back and this is when he began stabbing and cutting both of the women. 
He was using their love for one another against them, basically getting them to do what he wanted to by threatening to hurt the other, which just pisses me off so badly. Like, what an absolute piece of shit to just use their love for one another against them in that situation just really makes me mad. Teresa is eventually able to push the man off of the bed, and she grabs a metal bedside table and shatters the closed window. This is when she dives out of the window, and while this is happening, Jennifer is screaming as loud as she possibly could to just try and get the attention of others to help them. Once Teresa is outside, the attacker also flees the scene. Teresa runs all the way from the house to the curb and collapses. Jennifer is able to eventually make her way through the front door, which she obviously struggles with because she is completely covered in blood. This attack lasted around two whole hours, which is just absolutely terrifying and terrible and just so fucking heartbreaking. That is just so scary to go through that. Sadly, Teresa Buttes did succumb to her injuries and passed away in the street. Before Teresa passes, she tells a neighbor, he told us if we did what he asked us to do, he wouldn't hurt us. He lied. He lied. Teresa suffered immense amount of injuries. Teresa had eight cuts across her throat, a stab wound located on her left bicep muscle, and one more fatal stab wound penetrated her heart. Jennifer Hopper also sustained terrible injuries. Jennifer had two large cuts on the inside of her left arm, and she had four lacerations that were on her neck, and because of these lacerations, her external jugular vein was actually severed. Jennifer was immediately rushed off to the hospital where she had to undergo plastic surgery to repair the lacerations on her arm and her neck. Both Jennifer and Teresa's bodies were swabbed for DNA testing. The investigation began with authorities running the DNA that they had obtained from the swabs to a database. Surprisingly, this did yield results. Investigators found that this DNA sample matched that of an unknown male from a 2008 burglary case. Within this 2008 burglary case, investigators had obtained security camera footage of the suspect and some DNA, but they had no idea who this individual actually was. About five days after this discovery, the security camera footage is circulated throughout the media as an attempt to catch whoever committed this heinous crime. Shortly after this, a prosecutor reached out to authorities to let them know that this individual this unknown man was Isaiah Kalebu. This prosecutor had actually seen him twice that very week in court because this prosecutor was like handling a criminal case against Isaiah at the time. Isaiah Kalebu's mother also identified her son as the one in the security camera footage. There was seriously a plethora of evidence found at the scene of this crime. Isaiah carried out a very messy and disorganized crime. Investigators discovered blood on the window ledge, dirty fingerprints found on the edge of the bathtub, a latent print found on the outside of the bathtub, a left palm print, the outer edge of his left palm print on the front of a dresser that was located in the northwest bedroom, and bare footprints were found. 
Other items included a pair of khaki shorts and boxers that had both his DNA and spermatozoa on them. The fingerprint that was found on the outside of the bathtub was identified as Isaiah Kalebo's left ring finger. The left palm prints were also examined and identified as Isaiah Kalebo's. All of the prints examined in this case were examined by two separate fingerprint examiners, and both determined that these were, in fact, the fingerprints of Isaiah. The DNA swabs were also tested. Teresa's swabs proved to show both her and Isaiah's DNA, and Jennifer's swabs showed both hers and Isaiah's DNA. So as we can see, there was so much evidence stacked up against this terrible man. Not only did they have all of this evidence against him, but when he was arrested, he was actually wearing a pair of jeans. Authorities tested these jeans and found Isaiah Kalebu's DNA, but they also found Teresa Butte's and Jennifer Hopper's DNA as possible contributors, contributors to the profile that they obtained from that pair of jeans. Jennifer then positively identified Isaiah Kalebu as their assailant, and he is then arrested and booked. So now I'm going to kind of give you a sort of background story on Isaiah Kalebu, because it is kind of sad, and it does make sense why he turned into the kind of person that he turned into. Also, very sorry if you can hear Justin snoring. He is sleeping underneath my feet. And this dog seriously snores like an old man. Let's see. I can't hear it anymore. But anyways, so Isaiah Kalebu had a very rough history. He had a very abusive father and an absent father. And his mother suffered from mental illness herself, so he had just a pretty rough childhood. Many people had believed that Isaiah would eventually harm someone badly due to his upbringing. There was even a house fire where his aunt died, and she was basically trying to help him out, but it is believed that he may have actually been the one to act, like set this fire. So... He had a very troubled past, which I can imagine made him out to be a very troubled person. Before his trial even began, in a court video of him and his attorney, Isaiah states that this trial is all a waste of time. He basically states that it will be dismissed, which obviously I disagree with. There is just such an outrageous amount of evidence against you. I am genuinely surprised that you think that you'll just get away with this. It's insane. All throughout the pre-trial proceedings, Isaiah Kalebu acted out of pocket. He apparently was just acting out, yelling profanities at the judge and other people working in the court, along with a number of other things. There was a three-day competency hearing, and the trial judge found that Isaiah Kalebu was competent enough to stand trial. Though Isaiah was found to be able and competent enough to stand this trial, he made it very difficult for a peaceful trial to unfold. He even threatened trigger warning, suicide, and he had also had a history of mental illness, even being admitted to a psychiatric ward for being an imminent risk of hurting others. And this was just actually about a year and a half before the brutal attack on Teresa Butte and Jennifer Hopper. He was at one point during the trial put into a chair with restraints to keep him from moving about the courtroom, 
which is just insane to me. The trial judge saw these behaviors as distracting for the jury and he basically stated that Isaiah was just acting in these ways because he believed it would benefit him in his case. He had so much evidence against him that I almost feel as though it may have been a possible last effort, like attempt to save himself from a rough sentencing, the insanity route, but I also do not want to just say that somebody is acting when it comes to mental illness because that is just wrong. So I'm not going to do that, but it could have been a possible lead. So I'm going to put that out there. Like maybe that's why he was acting that way, but it could have just been how he was feeling and what he was doing. I, I don't know. Because Isaiah was acting so erratically, the judge barred him from the courtroom. He was put in a separate room from the courtroom away from everyone. He would be able to communicate with his attorneys and the judge via like a closed circuit video, but he was too much of a distraction for the jury to be actually physically in that courtroom with them. Jennifer Hopper was also able to testify during her, this trial and her side of the story was able to be told. The jury convicted Isaiah Kalebu of aggravated first-degree murder, first-degree rape, and attempted first-degree murder and first-degree burglary. All of these counts were with deadly weapon enhancements. There was a mandatory term of life without the possibility of early release, and this was given to him on his aggravated murder conviction. Isaiah Kalebu was sentenced to life plus 1,176 months, which when added up totals out to 98 years. Isaiah did try and appeal his sentencing, but this was obviously denied due to the overwhelming amount of evidence against him. It's just insane that he thinks that he can somehow get out of it. Now, I would like to talk about the obvious and sad fact that mental illness care and treatment is just very neglected in the United States. A study from the spring of 2014 showed that there are 10 times as many mentally ill in inmates in the country's jails than there are in state-funded psychiatric hospitals. That is over 350,000 which is absolutely heartbreaking if someone somewhere at the right time would have seen the mental distress that Isaiah was under, maybe they could have gotten him the help that he needed and he wouldn't have carried out on, sorry, carried on committing this heinous crime. This country tends to criminalize the severely mental ill and not only that, but so much money was cut from the mental health budget, so the resources are just so limited. And those in desperate need cannot get the help that they actually really need. I know just trying to find a therapist myself is extremely hard and not to mention expensive as shit, even with insurance. After all of this ended, there were many ways in which Teresa's memory was honored. Fight the Fear campaign created by Brandy Carlisle and Kim Boguski. This is a program created to teach women the art of self-defense. Angel Band Project was created by Jean Fox and Rachel Ebeling, who were Teresa's lifelong friends. They created an album together that honored Teresa's life, and the proceeds of this album go towards the Voices and Faces Project, which gives a voice to sexual violence survivors. This is heartbreaking, but also so very beautiful to see, changing the lives of others with her absolute bravery. And not only this, but giving survivors a voice. 
This is the heartbreaking case of Teresa Butes and Jennifer Hopper. Thank you for listening. I had never actually heard of this case, and once I found it, it was just very, very, very sad to research. It just makes me so mad. There was just so many failures in our system. We could have caught him a lot earlier. We could have got him help a lot earlier, and then Teresa could still be enjoying her life today and could be married to Jennifer, all of the things. And like, also just the trauma that he caused Jennifer. I couldn't even imagine the amount of trauma that would come after an attack like that. I just, it would scare me. Like, never trust anybody again. So, I don't know. That is her case. and That's pretty much it. He obviously is never going to be able to hurt anyone ever again, which is amazing and phenomenal. He was very stupid with the way he carried out his crime, just so messy and left literally all of the incriminating evidence behind, DNA, fingerprints, all of the things. Obviously, I don't think it was planned necessarily, or maybe he might have actually tried to clean up anything, but he did not, so yeah. I am glad that he is behind bars because he deserves it. All right, you guys. So that is the end of today's episode. I hope you really, really enjoyed it. I'm sorry it was so sad, but I mean, it's true crime. It's all going to be sad. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, just another reminder, if you want to sign up for the giveaway, you can do that. And don't forget to tune in on October 23rd through October 30th. There will be a new episode every single day because I love you guys and I love spooky season. So uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm going to give you my socials and then I'm going to let you go. All right. So my email, the not so grateful dead pod at gmail.com website, the not so grateful dead dot podbean.com i don't know why that always like trips me up but it does every single time i don't know my instagram sorry my dogs are being loud the not so grateful dead underscore podcast tiktok oh my god the not so grateful dead pod and facebook the not so grateful dead podcast with grayson decker that is about it that is all for today folks so I will see you on Sunday. I hope you have a lovely rest of your week. And yeah, I love you. Okay, bye-bye.